We are going to be looking at numerous passages from the scripture today. Uh, does anyone not have this sheet? Anyone not have one? Thank you, ushers. You did your job. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm not all that interested in a little train graphic, but I do know something. When I teach a teacher training class, I, I tell people that whatever they do needs to be clear, understandable, and memorable. If that little train graphic helps you to remember how to make a biblical decision, I've accomplished something this morning. But the real issues are, do we use the biblical principles that God has given us to make all the decisions in our lives? They can be personal decisions that, in essence, really affect few others, if any other people. They're, they're inside our own head and our own emotions. They could be decisions that affect our families. It could affect the church. It could affect your job. It could affect your future. All of these are decisions we make. Some are spiritual. Some are what we would say secular, even though I don't believe there is a division between those two. But they're all different directions. And the reason I put use this little train graphic, it was not original with me. I've modified it for my purposes. But we tend to have the train hooked up wrong. Most trains, and I am not an expert in... Um, railroad things, but most trains have an engine or two at the beginning, and sometimes they have a pusher engine, but usually the engine's in the front, and it pulls the rest of the train. And there's a reason for that, because it works well that way, and for spiritual things and for making decisions, it absolutely works that way. Here's why I make a big deal out of this. A lot of us know what we would like for our lives. Spiritually, we want this. Emotionally, we want that. For our job, we want this. We want the spouse like this. We want our children to act this way. And we simply want the results. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting good results. Except that if you're trying to run the train with a caboose, it doesn't work. Because results are normally the end of a process. You have made choices. You've done your homework. You've by faith trusted Jesus Christ and you trust the facts. And so you come to an end, good, final conclusion. The old saying is, everybody wants to be a return missionary, but very few want to go through the process of deputation and being on the mission field and the hardships with that so they can come back and tell some really neat stories. The truth is, we like good results. But if that's where we are, you're going to be sadly, sadly disappointed because the end results come from a process of decision making. Second one, when we get the third car first, and this one happens all the time. I'm not immune to it. You're not immune to it. Our emotions become the controlling factor. And then we try to come back to God and say, well, God, this is what I want. This is what I desire. And, uh, you know, because something traumatic happened to us or something good happened or we saw something, or we're all emotionally wrapped up in it, and that's what we want to base our life on. Now, there is nothing wrong with emotions. God gave them. 
But emotions are not the controlling factor. They're a result also of what we have done. So if you try to live your life by emotions, you're going to be up and down and all over the place. Let me give you an illustration, and it's at the top right underneath the train. On one side it says thermostat, on the other side it says thermometer. In this room, I know there is a thermostat. We keep it locked up so people can't mess with it, but it's downstairs right down there. It will automatically go from heat to cooling. All depends what the temperature is in here. There are also thermometers hooked to that. The thermometer simply tells us what this room is like, but it doesn't change a bit. That's like our emotions. The thermometer can go up and down, but if there's no thermostat to control it, it's just going to go up and down and it's going to be whatever it is outside or whatever the body heat is in here. It's going to be that. A thermostat is what controls the temperature. A thermometer simply records what happens. That's our emotions. Nothing wrong with them. And You can be up and down and all over in just one discussion with your spouse. In fact, as I have a grandson who's sitting right out here in the audience, (coughs) who can go from Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky, right, Finn? And smiling with his thumb in his mouth, and about a nanosecond, is that what they say today? Wah! And he is just a pain in the neck. You know what? (laughs) I... Amy's sitting there. I learned that from her. I didn't bring it up. Am I telling the truth? Absolutely true. Okay. By the way, I just saw him. She's always telling me he does that. Well, I saw it the other day. I was at their house, and I saw him do it. He just went from Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky talking with Grandpa to just a non-happy camper. You know what? Just because he's a child, we can laugh. But if I said you're that way, you wouldn't think it's quite so funny. (laughs) But you know what? You know I'm right. You can have a discussion in your home, and it's a friendly, you're eating supper, and you're discussing, and all of a sudden everybody's mad at each other. You know what? Emotions just go in all different directions. A little bit like a bomb, just go off and go in all directions. That's our emotions. Our emotions are great for kind of telling us where we're at, but they do not and cannot control our direction. I've had people in my emotion, in my emotion, in my office, based on their emotions, they're like, God showed, I prayed about this and God showed me this and, and I, so this is what I want to do. And I can look at them straight in the eye and say, that is not God telling you that because it violates biblical principle for you to go that direction. It's not based on truth. Then there are those that say, well, I'm going to live by faith. Now, that sounds very, very spiritual. And it is, by the way. I'm going to tell you that's what we need to do. But faith is always based on a person and also on the truth. Reality. We'll get to that in a moment. But that's what it has to be. Faith always has an object. God's truth, the reality of the circumstances, whatever it happens to be. There's always reality that's behind it. There's truth behind it. And so faith by itself is kind of like, almost like emotions. It's just like, well, I have faith that I want this to happen. So God has to do it. And the answer from the Bible is, no, he does not. God 
responds to faith that's based on truth. And that's what we need to understand. So many times people have this, and and there's a whole line of thinking through Christianity today. If I have enough faith, God's going to do whatever I want him to do. That's just not true. Just not true. But what does the Bible say? We need to make our decisions in life based on the truth. And so if you look at the the third line down, I guess, it says objective truth, real faith, subjective experience, and predictable consequences or outcomes, results. Because you can see in this whole thing, and you'll, you'll catch this, I hope, by the end, is that there's the law of sowing and reaping. If I do what God asks, with his power, with his wisdom, then I will have an internal clock, a thermometer that says, wow, you did the right thing. And I will have the end results that show in every area, including here and now and all eternity. That's what the scripture says. Now, saying all of that, let's look at why I've come to those conclusions. And I have seen for years, by the way, if you're asking me, are you preaching this because you got it all together? The answer is no. I don't have it all together. Sometimes my emotions get in the way. Sometimes I want to shortcut all the process so I can get to the end result. Sometimes I'm just like, well, if I have enough faith, God's going to do this and I can get off the hook. doesn't work. I deal with it. You need to deal with it. So let's look at what it says. We're going to turn to a number of passages. I'm encouraging you to turn to John chapter 8 for the first one. After that, you can decide. I, have, I am not going to be able to cover all the passages that are going to be involved here. That's why they're at the bottom of the sheet, so you can take the sheet home and look them up um, on your own time. But we are just simply going to go through the process, look at it, and give a few comments as we go. What is this based on? Objective truth. What is objective truth? It is the facts. It is the truth that is set forth. It is reality. It is good sense. And I sometimes would say it's based on common sense, but you know the old joke. If it's common sense, why is it so rare? And that's the truth. Then they say, well, horse sense. I don't know if horses are smarter than we are or not, but sometimes I think they are. Uh, but you know what? It's good sense. I've looked at it. it. It works out. There is a track record. One of the things that I see, um, got to bring tractor pulling in somewhere here. You know what? Every year there are some new guys that start garden tractor pulling. First, and they call me, and lots of them do, because my name is known out there, because I put on the polls and stuff. And they'll call and say, hey, uh, Paul, I, I'm going to start here. Uh, would this work? And I'm like, no, you start with the right tractor. You start, and these are the things you need to know. I've been around. I've been doing it for 18 years. I've done my research. I've done my homework. Some things work, and some things don't. If you look at the guy's tractors and they all have this kind of tires on, that means it probably works. Or if they use this kind of engine, that means it probably works. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm and they always think this, is, but I can beat the odds and I can do something different and it's going to work. Occasionally, they'll find something new, but it's going to cost them a lot of money and a lot of research to find that new thing. So they decide they're going to do it a different way. They do it once or twice. They get all huffy because everybody else whoops them badly. 
<laughs> and they mumble and grumble and like, I told you, start with the right thing and build it the right way. A track record. If something hasn't worked for the last 2,000 years or 4,000 years, it's probably not going to work for you. That's what a track record is. There's history behind it. There's a reason why some things are done the way they are done. Then there is experience counsel. Now, I'll admit that my kids are smarter than I am. You probably, well, maybe you don't want to admit that, but I will admit that. My kids are smarter than I am. But you know what? I could always look at them and say, you know what? You might be smarter than me, but I've been there, done that. I've been, I, I went through it. I did a lot of things the wrong way, and I came out the other end. I learned the hard way, and guess what? This doesn't work. I can help you avoid a lot of grief and heartache and a lot of other things in the process. Probably spending too much money doing something that totally doesn't work out. The Bible is clear. Good counsel from someone who knows what they're talking about will save you a lot and help you in the decision-making process. One last thing. Information that's truth has to be complete, reliable, and verifiable. If something is really truth, it's really a fact, it doesn't matter how you slice it and dice it and how many times you check it, it always comes out the same. It's reliable and verifiable. It's just like the scientific uh, principle, uh, scientific uh, process. is You can repeat it, you can check it, and you can repeat it and check it, and it always comes out the same. That's what a fact is. Something that you know um, always comes up the same. Now, what it is not based on is my opinion. By the way, everybody has an opinion, and today opinions are all seem to be equally of, of, of equal value. All of them are valid. That's simply not true. Not for any good decision-making process. I've asked you to turn to John chapter 8, starting at verse 30. But before that, I'd just like to point to John chapter 17, verse 17, where it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So when it comes down to it, if we're going to look at truth and not opinion, we need to first come back to what Jesus has said. What God has revealed to us. What the Holy Spirit has inspired the writers to write. The word of God. Any decision that goes against the principles, the truths of the Word of God, I mean, any fact, what you think is a fact, and any decision made on a principle that is against the Word of God is going to come up short. You cannot short-circuit, thy word is truth. There are plenty of other places that it says it in different ways. For example, and you're in John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to those who believe. In fact is, he makes it clear in verse 31 who those believers are. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples, learners of me. Now, understand these first two are basically talking about spiritual things, how to grow, how to become a holy person, how to get saved. Without a doubt, it talk about spiritual things. The facts, verifiable, bottom line issues. But in John chapter 8, verse 32, it says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. 
It ends in verse 36 by saying, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. These were saved people, and he was telling them how they could live out their salvation in freedom. They could know that the truth would set them free. Now, I understand this is quoted about a lot of different things in life. About Well, you know the truth, it'll set you free. By principle, that's true. By application, that's true. But the exact outcome of the scripture is to talk about spiritual things. But that's not the only place it talks about it. The book of Proverbs is very clear about this um, principle. But before we go there, I'd like you to look at Matthew chapter 7. Verse 24, you know this. Ever since you were three years old and you were in nursery and the teachers started singing, the wise man built his house upon the rock, you know, and the foolish man built it on the sand and came. By the way, you just thank me now for not trying to sing it for you. Okay. But, I, but you know what? That's the parable. That's what he's telling here. It's a part of the decision-making process. And one thing I want you to know, that when both builders were done, their houses looked good. They were good-looking houses. You look at that and say, wow, I'd like to live in that house. But there's a problem. And you'll notice that it's the foundation. It's a foundational problem. One was built on rock. One was built on sand. Let's look at what it says. It says, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, it's not talking, I understand this would apply to spiritual things also, but it applies to life in general. He says, the wise person is the one who knows the facts and acts upon them. You're also going to notice in a few verses that a fool is the one who knows the facts and disregards them doesn't act upon them. I used to work in construction, and I know one thing. You dig the footer deep enough till you get to solid ground. If you don't, everything cracks and moves, and you just have a lousy end product. That's just what happens. And he says, in this case, uh, the rain came, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against the house, and it didn't fall because the foundation was built on something solid and absolute. On the other hand, the fool said, you know what? I'm going to take a shortcut. Who wants to dig that deep to get on solid rock? It's too much work, too much cost. Nobody sees it. Nobody appreciates it. So he builds on the sand. His house looks equally good, except that when the tough times come, it goes flat and it's done. He's a fool. Truth is, don't try to judge your life while you're on vacation, while everything is going well. Because you know what? You always come up with a good answer. Hey, everything's great. How you judge your life, and if you're basing your decisions on truth, is things are going really bad right now. You just got laid off your job. Uh, You and your wife are disagreeing on something. One of the kids did something horrendous. Whatever it is, there's where you decide, is your life, are your decisions being made on solid rock, the truth, or on sand? That's That's what tells. You see, they both look good. Until the tough time came. That's the difference. We need to make sure that it's not simply on my opinion 
or my assumptions. You know what I say. Anytime I assume something, I can assume I will be wrong. Yes. I say that sometimes to myself, and I say it to other people, and sometimes I still do it. And guess what? I land up with egg in my face one more time because I assume something instead of checking it out and making sure it was verifiable and reliable. My feelings, I already mentioned that. Put feelings as a foundation, you've got sand because guess what? All that lovey-dovey feeling you had today may not be there tomorrow. All those good things that are here today may not be there tomorrow. That relationship you had with that person that was all nice and warm and fuzzy may not be there tomorrow. You better base that decision with that person based on truth. It is not to be based on rumors about the situation. And not only on outward appearances. If you look at the bottom, you will see that I have listed there as 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. You go, where in the world is that? You'll remember the story. Samuel had been entrusted by God to go to the family of David and to anoint the next king. And so they bring out all the sons, except for the last one. And they come out. These guys are tall, good-looking. You know, they got everything going for them. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Here's the point. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Remember, just because something looks good on the outside doesn't mean it's a genuine article. You can put a veneer and a paint job on almost anything and it'll look good. But I'll tell you what, if the gears and the mechanism inside don't work, it's still a worthless piece of junk. And you know what? That's what we need to understand when we make decisions. We need to look at the complete, the whole picture. Not just the bright, shiny on the outside. We need to look at the whole thing. And I'm telling you, you probably could give illustration after illustration of a decision you made because it really looked good. And minutes, hours, days, or a little even longer than that, you go, what in the world was I thinking? Because it was based not on verifiable truth. And there is nothing wrong, by the way, with personal desires and preferences. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But we need to make sure that it's based on those things that are unchangeable and concrete. What are unchangeable and concrete? Absolutely. The principles, the commands, and the morals of the Word of God. Without this, thy word is truth. Without this... As a part of every decision you make. And you go, you mean about what I'm going to spend my spare money on? Yeah. yeah. Because you might be spending it on something that violates biblical principle. You may have it to spend, but uh, spending it on a uh, pay-per-view porn movie on TV is not good. Well, I didn't waste, you know, I had the money. Yeah. But the Bible says, stay away from those kinds of things. It's a bad decision. It's going to have bad results. You name it, whatever it is. The natural law uh, of this world also applies. If I drop something, gravity takes over. And I understand the... uh, 
and I got corrected in Sunday school, but something about centrifugal force isn't a force, but it's a calculation or something like that. If you want to know what it is, ask Ron. He knows. He's a mathematician. But anyway, all I know is if I go out of church today and I take the first big turn too fast with my car, I'm going to land up in the ditch. I know that when I'm working on something in my shop, if I drop one wrench and the wrench hits the socket, and the socket rolls, and it hits the parts, and they fall down inside the machine, and dirt falls over top of them, and it's not magnetic so I can get it back out, there's a problem, okay? There, there just is a downward spiral that goes with these things. The natural thing is, every time I drop something, it's going downhill, and it's probably going to hide itself. That's a natural law too, by the way, especially when you work in these things, just the way it is. I have spent too many hours trying to search for a tiny little part. And you know what? The point is, I could probably go buy another part. Sometimes I have to. But you know what? When you make a decision in life that goes against everything you know to be true, you can't just go buy a new part and fix it up because it has consequences. It affects you and other people. You can only make dollars and cents. You can't say, I'm going to spend more money than I have. Only when you're the government, this is not a political sermon, but I'll tell you what, you can't spend money you don't have. Eventually, it's going to bite you. That's just the way it is. And you can also not make decisions that are not under your control. Most of the time, we like to make decisions for other people, and we're negligent on our own. Make sure that you understand the point we talked about last week. I am accountable and responsible for what is under my control. That's last week's sermon. How do I make decisions? If it's under my control, I can make a decision about it. If it's under somebody else's control, you know what? I might have to live with it. But we need to. And then do your homework. So many people make decisions without doing their homework. That's wise counsel. As I said, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about these kinds of things. For example, in Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says this, Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6, For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. Notice, this is somebody that's been there. They know what they're talking about. A little older, a little wiser. Has learned some of the principles over the course of their life. I encourage you, whenever you have a decision to make, make sure you do your homework. Check it out from the scripture. Check it out about how things work. Check others who've been there and done that and have an idea of what's going on. God has said, make sure you deal with and make decisions on the basis of truth, reality, and the facts. End of number one. Go to number two column. Real faith. As I already mentioned, uh, and you'll notice, who or what are you trusting? The who is, we need to trust God. We need to trust that God the Father loves us. We need to trust that Jesus Christ cares about us and loves us also. And we need to trust that the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches, guides, provides, strengthens, and gives us wisdom for the task ahead. My favorite prayers, and I go back to them all the time, Lord, 
I need your wisdom and I need your strength to carry it out. Whatever you show me, I need your strength to carry it out. Those two passages will be found in the first block there. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through him, that is Christ, who strengthens me. John chapter, 14, uh, John chapter 15 says, without me, you can do nothing. Faith has an object. And specifically for us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. He is the one that can give us strength. What it takes to go to the next level, to go take the next step. But He's also the one that provides us with wisdom. See, strength without wisdom is just a bully. Wisdom without strength is, you know the right thing, but you're kind of incapable of doing it. James chapter 1, verse 5 says this. It says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, which simply means he doesn't hold us against us. And then he says, if you won't do that, you're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. If you want to know why we have an abundance of, and not, this is not a blanket statement, but an abundance of people with mental and emotional instability in their life. It's because they're doing things their way, the world's way, not with God's wisdom. And they land up going wishy-washy all over. Their, therm- their thermometer is just going up and down, like a yo-yo. And they wonder why their life is not under control. We need to make sure that we trust the facts but mostly that we trust the one who has given us the facts, the one who's in control of the truths of the Word of God and the nature around us, the things that don't vary and don't change. We need to be careful that we don't simply rely on ourselves. This whole aspect of faith or trusting is my response to the reality of the situation and the confidence in the guidance that God has given us for a solution. And I, again, I just keep coming back to the word of God is this is his final authority for faith, but it's not just faith. Because if you look through the scriptures, you will find out it talks about money. It talks about relationships. It talks about work. It talks about anything almost you can think about. And it gives us good, solid, biblical advice for all of those things. So we have to go back to that. We place our trust in the Word of God, but also the reality that God has put these things in our lives, and He is the one that knows best. Just remember, He wants you to be blessed more than you even know that you need the blessing. He, we might say, well, we want the best for our lives, but God even wants better for your life than you do. Because we usually settle for something less than God's best. God really wants and knows what is best for me. And if you do not come to him in prayer and trusting him, looking to the word, praying to him, asking for wisdom, asking for strength to carry it out, you're not making a biblical decision. It's not If you take that out of the process, you have put yourself in charge. You are now God. You're trusting yourself. And I don't care if you're a Christian or not, because I've done it too many times as a Christian. I I know what God wants, but I'm trusting me this time. And I I pay the price for it. So do you. We can look at a whole lot of other things, but just one more, one passage from the bottom. Romans chapter 14, the last verse 
in Romans chapter 14. And if you know the context, you will know that it's talking about um, Christian liberty. And you go, well, that's one of those where there's no black and white answer to a lot of things. And that's true. But here's what he says. Even in an area like Christian liberty, he ends with this. But he who, uh, I'm sorry, this is four, uh, Romans 14, 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Wow. That's the same word as used for sin any other place in the Bible. It says, if we do something that is not from faith, it's sin. And that's talking about what we might eat or not eat. In fact, as in James chapter 4, it says, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. This process is one that's given to us by God. It's not one made up by a preacher up front here, so I have something to say today. God says no. If you're not living by faith and you're not putting the facts into practice by faith, it's sin. Remember, without me, you can do nothing. It doesn't come to anything. We have two more things to cover in the next 10 minutes. Subjective experience. As I already mentioned, nothing wrong with it. But it absolutely changes from day to day, moment to moment. It is absolutely not an, uh, a right or a wrong. But it can indicate right or wrong. And you know that. If you make a right choice, let's say to, to, instead of doing your own thing, you reach out to help somebody else. You go, man, I felt really good about that. There's nothing unspiritual about that. You felt good because you did a helpful, good, profitable, beneficial thing for somebody else. Hey, that's great. On the other hand, have you done some things that you go, as soon as it was over, you go, big mistake. I did that not too long ago. Man, as soon as it was done, it was like, (laughs) sorry, sorry. I was like, I got stabbed. I felt horrible about it. Because you know what? I knew that what I had said was not from faith. It wasn't good. It wasn't based on facts. It was just plain, I was angry. And I did it. I'm not bragging about it. I got it taken care of. I got it taken care of right away by God. And I got it taken care of with my wife shortly thereafter. (laughs) Hey, I'm just telling you that's the way it is. Because I told you, I don't got this all together. I need to do that. But I'll tell you what, I've done lots of things where I was done and it wasn't fun, but man, I felt good when I was done. I was like, I've said the truth. I've done what I know to be right. And I've done other things where I kind of thought it was, I can get through this. And afterwards, it's like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. You know what? Because that's what our thermometer does. That's what our experience, that's what our emotions do. Great thermometer, horrible thermostat. Continuing on, my, my emotions are the reaction to life and truth. I already kind of uh, said that. And uh, they can be fickle. I already touched on that before. But I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 6. I- I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4. You will not find a 6. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 is what I'm actually trying to say. And this is the verse that all of you know. It says, be anxious for nothing. King James says, be careful for nothing. Some of the newer versions say, don't worry about anything. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all human understanding or comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You've heard me say this before. If the word heart is used by itself, it encompasses your will, your conscience, your thinking, and your emotions. If it is used in conjunction with mind, it is relegated to your emotions, your feelings. And notice what it says. If you have made the decision by trusting, coming to God, this thing that distracted you, made you anxious, made you cause you to worry, you come to God and you pray and you thank Him for what He's going to do, He says, the peace of God, which is above and beyond anything. Notice that's an emotional term. The peace of God, which passes all human understanding or comprehension, shall guard your emotions and your thinking. Wow! That's what I want. I want to know that after I've made a decision that God says, I'm going to send a garrison of soldiers, and that's what the word guard means, a Roman garrison of soldiers, to guard me. Guard my emotion, my emotions, because even though you've done the right thing, somebody will come along and, you know, really be negative toward you, and all of a sudden your emotions, you're feeling good, you're flying high, and all of a sudden, crash. That's happened, right? It happens. You know, and sometimes you feel bad about something and then you realize late, a few weeks or minutes or days later, wow, I actually did the right thing. And then the emotions go back up. They, they bounce around. But they do give us something to go by. But God says, above and beyond that, I will guard your emotions. I will also guard your thinking. The thinking has to do with the first two columns. Now, these things, and I I just wrote a whole bunch of things here. You can go back and look at verses that deal with the conscience that alternately accuses or else defends us, Romans chapter uh, 2, verse 15. But the end result of my subjective experience can be joy or happiness, peace. It can be stress. It can be depression, anxiety, worry, numbness, grief, guilt, fear, sadness, relief, and just about any other thing you could ever stick in there. That's just a sample. But one last thing. Because what do we really want? We want a good final result. We want the consequences of what we've done to be positive. I guarantee you the law sowing and reaping comes in. And that's Galatians chapter 6. It's found all through the scripture. But in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall we also reap. What I sow is what I'm going to reap. If I plant corn, I expect to get corn, not wheat. If I plant to the new nature, I plan to have spiritual reward. If I plant to the the old nature, I can pretty much predict disaster. It's just the way. If I don't base it on facts, I can pretty much guarantee that whatever I've chosen to do is not going to work correctly. But if I base it on what I know to be true and the truths of the Word of God, I can know that it's going to have a positive result. And that positive result, as I mentioned before, is inward and outward. The positive result is, I know, I know who I am, I know what I've done, I know where I stand, and I'm secure. That's great. It also has an outward effect. And it proves, not only to us, but to others, that we have done things 
God's way. Our decision was a biblical one, based on biblical truth, and it has an outcome that shows that my life is under control. And not only do I know that personally, makes me a secure person, but others see that. That's called the reputation. Others see that this is a person who thinks things through, does them right. Doesn't just go by the seat of their pants and their emotions and decide at the, the moment what they're going to do. Somebody that's got their act together. And not only is that good for here and now, but according to the Word of God, those things that we discipline ourselves for actually don't even stop here in this world, but go beyond that. They go way beyond. For example, and I have at the bottom there, First Timothy chapter um, yeah, First Timothy chapter uh, four, verse seven in particular. I have a, lo- a longer uh, part there, but it says, "For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come." Now, understand that's talking about disciplining our lives for godliness. But what is godliness? Putting God first in every part of our lives. That's what it is, whether it's spiritual things or the mundane things of this life. It doesn't matter. That's godliness. I live a godly life, not just in church and when I'm having my devotions or in Bible study or something like that. But godliness is something that permeates my whole life. I am not a godly person if I'm godly for an hour or two a week. I'm probably a hypocrite in that case. But I'm a godly person if God permeates every part of my life, including my decisions and my actions that I take. And so it says they're not only profitable for this present life, it gives me a good reputation, but it also says it's profitable for the life to come. That would be a whole other sermon because that's the rewards that are awaiting those that have been obedient to what God has asked them to do. They've used what God has given them in a godly way. They've made the right choices, the right decisions based on faith in God and the truth. They have a good end. It's simply this result verifies the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow is indeed what you reap. See, we like to reap, but boy, I'll tell you what. And I grew up on a farm. I know that plowing and disking and harrowing and planting is all hard work. And I know that harvesting is hard work. But boy, oh boy, it's nice to have a full barn. (laughs) But it doesn't happen if you don't do those other things. It just doesn't happen. In our lives, it's exactly the same way. The end result, and you can look at this, for example, in Galatians chapter 5. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then it goes on in verse 13 to say that only don't use this freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It gives me fear or freedom. God is not, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, has not given us the spirit of fear. I'm sorry, that's 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Uh, has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So I have fear or freedom. I have bondage or I master that thing. I have failure or I overcome. I have defeat or I have victory. I'm hindered or I'm helped. Or I'm in agony 
or I'm comforted. Some of you, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, made decisions that weren't godly decisions and you still have agony over them. Today, it's the way it is. God never promised to get rid of the consequences because guess what? The law of sowing and reaping does work. I'm not telling you he's not gracious and merciful. He is also that. The truth is, decisions that we make have long-lasting effects. So, based on the truth, based on trusting the truth and trusting Jesus Christ, trusting God, that's how I make my decisions. Do I have personal preferences? Do I have emotions? Do I have experience? Do I have those kinds of things? The answer is yes. Nothing wrong with them. But that's not the basis. It's the result. And then, are there consequences? The answer is yes. They're very predictable. Because what I do has, what I do, the choices I make, have predictable elements to them that will come out to a certain effect. If you don't put gas in your car, you're not going very far. I carry a gallon of gas in the back of my truck, and there's a reason for it. Because I don't have a gas gauge, for one, and even if I do, I still run down to the fumes. My wife thinks I am nuts. But you know what? I carry a gallon of gas because I've had to call people and tell them to come and bring me some gas. That's very embarrassing. But you know what? I know if I don't put gas in that rascal, it just doesn't keep running. So I have to cover myself. And I did it the other day again. I don't know how, but thankfully there was a gallon of gas there. You know what? I'd like that truck to run all the time without ever putting gas in, but it doesn't work that way. I need to make a decision. Stop at the gas station, pay, bite the bullet, pay the price for a gallon, a couple gallons of gas, and move on. We all have to do that. Every area of life is like that. There is a predictable consequence, a final end result of everything we do. God has given us a way to do it so that we can know that predictable consequence is a good one. One that honors God, is good for us, and beneficial for everyone around us. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, what a great God you are. You have not left us without wisdom. You have not left us without uh, a plan. And I pray that as we look at these things, as we apply them to our lives, that it would change us. And it absolutely will change us if we are wise and put it into practice. It will also be a disaster if we know these truths and don't use them. We'll land up like the foolish man. A nice house. That's just a pile of junk. Lord, I don't want that for my life. And I pray that these folks do not want that for their life. And that we as a church do not want that for this church that we would make the wise decisions that we need to by trusting you and trusting the principles that you have given us. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.